0: Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. We often are doing things, Neptali, that it's like we don't need to be doing. They're not essential. We're running around like crazy doing all of these things. But at the end of the day, if you're not there to tuck your children in, if you aren't able to call your aging father you know, every single day and tell them you love them, if you're not able to get your workout in and take care of yourself then please remember the story I shared about Ken because his story isn't unique. You're gonna make yourself sick. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help
1: lead to succeed. Fix the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 68. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Susan Sly. Susan is an entrepreneur, best-selling author, and tech investor. She specializes in teaching productivity to early stage entrepreneurs. Susan has appeared on CNN, CNBC, Fox, Lifetime, and more. She's a mother of five, and resides in Scottsdale, Arizona. Susan, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you for coming on the show today.
0: Well, Nepali, thank you for having me on the show. And I just want to celebrate everything you're doing in the world. I, I, you know, I looked at your website. I looked at um, your shows and and this mission that you're on to really help people become more productive to lead, even when it's uncomfortable. So thank you. It's a great honor to be here.
1: I appreciate that. That plug was fantastic. And yeah, I'm doing what I can, but I know that you're very much in the productivity space as well. So let's jump in if we can on that, because I'm really interested. You know, I I do teach productivity, as you mentioned. I do coaching groups and have all sorts of free resources on my website, which I'm going to link up. But what I wanted to ask you in particular is you work specifically with early stage entrepreneurs. What are their productivity challenges? And the reason I'm asking is because I imagine... These are people with great ideas, highly motivated, possibly a bit all over the place uh, in terms of what it is that they're trying to accomplish. And sometimes we feel we have to do, 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 and we don't necessarily put the brakes on at the right time and in the right way. So I'm curious, what are the challenges, Susan, and uh, how do you help them?
0: That's an amazing question. And, and, and I think that, you know, whether you're an early stage entrepreneur or wherever you are in your journey, we are going to encounter some very similar things. Early stage on, entrepreneurs are wearing many hats. So it, it might be one person and they have, you know, another person and there are two of them and, and they're doing accounting and legal and they're they're doing marketing and sales and product development and coding and everything else that they're doing. And how do you prioritize? And One of the things I always say is that the number one enemy of success is lack of organization. So we have a a mutual friend, Mark Victor Hansen, and I know Mark was on your show. So when Mark and Jack, I have known Mark and Jack for years and years and years. In fact, when I wrote my first book in 2007, they both endorsed it. So for a new author, it was tremendous. But what a lot of people might not know is that when they, had chicken soup for the soul and they were turned down by over a hundred publishers, they got together and they said, we are each going to do five things every day to get our book published. And so that's what they did. They each reached out to five, they prioritized it. So one of my pieces of advice for early stage entrepreneurs is figure out what your priority is right now. Is it fundraising? So in our startup radius, we did a $7.1 million friends and family round and startups need money. Like we all need oxygen, right? So that was a priority. So I said at very minimum, even though I was running two other businesses, five kids, um, all the things that I do, I was going to take five actions a day toward bringing that money in, and that meant reaching out to five different people, presenting, following up, all of those things. And so the thing I would say is sit down with your partners, or maybe it's just you, and ask yourself, what is the priority now? We only started making priority a plural in the 1950s. Prior to the 50s, priority came from the Latin root priore, and that meant one. Then in the 50s, we decided we could have more than one priority, and that's not true. You only have one. So if you're an early stage business, chances are it's funding. 82% of businesses fail because of cash flow issues. So that should be a priority. Maybe you have some funding. Your next priority is getting your product to the market and that's sales. So maybe your priority right now is leads. Maybe your priority right now is product development to get your beta out, but every company has a priority. And right now, with um, Radius, where we're in an M&A situation, my number one priority every single day is creating the right valuation for this company so that we can have a successful exit. So hopefully that makes sense. I mean, the priorities sure are change, but it's, it's only one.
1: So that's really cool, Susan, because first of all, I had no idea that priorities was at one point a singular term only. That's kind of cool. Uh, Mm -hmm. The other piece is that you actually started to walk me through the answer to my follow-up question, which was going to be, okay, I've got a ton of stuff I need to do. I'm the chief cook and bottle washer. I've got (laughs) it all on my head. How do I prioritize? You talked about cash flow. You talked about some other pieces there as well. So that may work for a clearly defined, let's call it early stage entrepreneur who understands that they're on a particular path, a particular journey. How do you help people in general? what would your advice be for people who are not in that particular um, space who are struggling with the question of how do I prioritize? I've got so much to do and, and, and I'm and I'm, manage, I'm trying to do it all, that kind of thing. How, what, what tools might people access? What advice do you have? Tell people really narrow down what makes the very, very top of their to-do list?
0: Absolutely. We will never become more successful by saying yes to more things, we will only become more successful by saying no to more things. So I want to begin the answer to this question with a story, because I, I love to have the opportunity to share this particular story. So my my best friend in the world, we all have that one person who advocates for us. You know, we're, we're going to dye our hair purple, or we're going to get an eyebrow ring, and they're like, are you sure? But I'll love you anyway. So my my best friend in the world who advocated for me, his name was Ken Coven, and Ken had a startup. He also had his family business and he was running around saying yes to everything. He was trying to help his family business. He was trying to get a startup off the ground. He had two young children, a beautiful wife, and it was just non-stop. And he would take them to the cottage on a Friday night, stay over, but leave them there Saturday morning, go back so he could work some more. And In 2015, he called me and he said, Susan, I've got terminal cancer. I've been given 90 days to live. And this is how I learned about priorities because I said to him, what are you going to do? He said, I don't want your sympathy, but this is how I've decided to reprioritize my life. Number one, I'm getting rid of anyone in my life who's negative. I've made a list of five people. They're now my inner circle. You're in it. If you give me any sympathy, you're out of it. (laughs) Number two, I am focused on what is essential, not what are things I think I need to do. Number three, that anything that is not essential, I'm getting someone else to do. He ended up living um, almost two years before he passed at age 47, but I'll never forget. He said, I gave myself cancer. This is not... A unique circumstance. There are a lot of people out there, especially the number one age for startup success to start a company in Silicon Valley is 47 years old. I'm 48 years old. There are a lot of us in Gen X. We've got aging parents. We've got kids at home. We have a business. Maybe we have a career. We have all these balls in the air and we're running around saying yes to things that aren't essential. So I want to give three quick tips based on that story. Number one is that it's getting clear on who your inner circle is we all have this network of people um mark victor hansen is a person in my network harvey mckay is my personal mentor he wrote swim with the sharks or getting Alive." we have this small circle of people that we can count on to tell us if we're getting off course that's number one number two and it's not going to be a big circle number two is what is essential And if you're in it right now and you're exhausted and you're waking up in the middle of the night and you have sweats and your doctor's like you need to take it easy, I want you to step back. I want you to check out and and just fire yourself from everything for a day and really get clear on what is essential. And then number three is where do you need to get help? And we some great resources. You asked resources. So I hire people from onlinejobs.ph. So they're in the Philippines and I, I have um, a video editor, I have a SEO expert, I have a full-time personal assistant, I have a graphics person, and these amazing team members have become like my family. So I'm able to build a brand even though I'm building a startup as a co-founder and co-CEO 60 hours a week right now. So I can create one piece of content and my team deploys it across YouTube, across Instagram, across LinkedIn. And they make, we're even using AI to make blogs. The second tip I would give you, if you have content creation for your business, we're using an amazing tool called Conversion AI. You can um, just go to one of my companies that I own is agency8.com. You can find out more about it, but you could literally take a portion of this interview, drop it into Conversion AI, and it'll write a whole blog. So I'm running an experiment right now with my eighth book that will be totally written by an AI. I did a four-week course a few years ago using, I'm an NLP certified NLP master um, trainer, and I did a four-week course on NLP. We took the audio from the course, we dropped it in the AI, and it's writing a whole book. Wow. Wow. So we often are doing things, Neptali, that it's like we don't need to be doing. They're not essential. We're running around like crazy doing all of these things. But at the end of the day, if you're not there to tuck your children in, if you aren't able to call your aging father you know, every single day and tell them you love them, if you're not able to get your workout in and take care of yourself, then please remember the story I shared about Ken, because his story isn't unique. You're going to make yourself sick.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's very powerful, Susan. There's so much there, almost too much for me to unpack in this (laughs) segment. I will tell you, you know, in my productivity blueprints, a Mm five-step process, I talk about planning and sharing, doing, and then step number four is sustaining. Because the sustaining piece, you know, you get motivated, you get excited, you want to do things, but you have to be able to sustain it. You have to be able to keep going. And that's about sharpening the saw. It's about taking care of yourself. It's about a lot of the pieces that we oftentimes neglect on the front end because we're so busy trying to get things done and we don't really see the big picture. So it is Mm -hmm. a critical piece. And I I thank you for bringing that to everybody's attention um, because it's very powerful. And Ken's story is also very powerful. So thank you for sharing that. Now, I'd like to shift to a different story, Mm -hmm. and that's yours. I'm curious to know because it's not every day that I meet someone like you. Uh, who has achieved so much, who has, you know, her own children and family to raise and so much going on. So I'm curious to know about your backstory, um, mm-hmm. as well as how you keep going, despite all of your many responsibilities. I know you mentioned some of it with the outsourcing and the delegation and whatnot. And that's great. And I do a lot of the same. Uh, but nonetheless, I'd like to hear how you do it. And of course, how you got to this point in the first place.
0: Sure. Yeah, there was um. One night I was in L.A. and the next day I was doing a speaking event with John Assara from The Secret, some of you, if you've you've seen The Secret, and John's a bestselling author, a great human. And I I couldn't sleep and I was watching biography and it was Natalie Cole and she came on and she said, you only see the glory, you don't know the story. And so people could look at me and they'd be like, Oh, six Boston marathons and the Ironman triathlon and CNN and blah, blah, blah. But what they don't see is that in order to be in this place in my life and really understand productivity, I had to get to a place where I was at rock bottom. So in, in two, in um, 1999, I was at what would be the pinnacle of my career. I was, um, I owned a thriving business. I had 52 employees. I was on television every day. I was on radio on Sundays. Um, I had celebrity clients. I, you know, I was a professional athlete. I was doing it all, but I started not to feel good. Um, First to start, I was a professor of nutrition. I would drop the chalk when I was writing. I would drop my car keys. I wasn't sleeping. I started slurring my speech um, and I went to my doctor and I said, listen, Ross, I'm not feeling good. And he said, you need a vacation. And I went on a vacation. I ended up sleeping for seven days and I came back and I felt even worse. So I gave him a yellow post-it now with a list of tests. And I said, I want all these tests. In January 13th of 2000, he calls me in his office and he holds up a scan of my brain and it looks like a fishbowl full of fish. And he says, Susan, this is your brain. And these are lesions. You have multiple sclerosis and you with a case, this severe, you will be in a wheelchair in 10 years and dead in 20. And I was 27 years old and the mother of a two-year-old. Three days later, my marriage fell apart. 16 weeks later, I lost my business and I ended up homeless on my brother in law's sofa. So, when I'm talking about productivity or I'm sharing Ken's story or I'm sharing my story, that if you're taking notes while you're listening or, you know, to the show, whatever is suppressed is going to be expressed. That's why things like influencer culture drive me nuts because it's fake. Right. Yeah. Whatever is suppressed is going to be expressed. And I suppress it. I was like, I used to say stupid stuff like I'll sleep when I'm dead. So the reason I bring this up is because I had to make some life changes and it was based on survival. I was in a one-way, you know, on a one-way train to dying. And so I did, and that's when I really learned to embrace the concept of balance. I learned to work smarter. We hear this all the time. What does it really mean? To do what is essential. To do Harvey McKay says, wake up and do the thing that is going to make you the most money first. So waking up, getting the the sales call out of the way, or the difficult conversation with an employee or a colleague out of the way, doing what is essential, and then everything that isn't essential. What can you delegate? How much money do you have to make to get the team around you so that you can get to that next level. And so I started a business in 2003 and I, I built it from that place. And that business went on to um, make, you know, close to $30 million, um, which was fabulous. And even today with Radius and two other businesses and the kids, which are going concerns, you um, I still operate my day the way I learned to after losing everything, because that's how I am able to do so much and not get sick and be productive. And I'm not afraid to say no. I wake up in the morning. I look at my schedule. If something isn't in alignment with my goals and objectives, I'll cancel it.
1: Well, I'm glad you said yes to this conversation. So that's that makes me feel really good, but I will tell you're you you're an
0: easy yes because you know? and I I moved another meeting and I want oh, your your so I want fine. your audience to know this because what you're doing is in alignment with the message the world needs to hear. So it was an easy, yes, I'll move it, I'll do it, I'll make the time. I really
1: do appreciate that, that's (laughs) fantastic. And you know what's great about having you on is that you anticipate my next question, so you move (laughs) right into it. I was gonna ask you about balance and you hit it, so that's fantastic. So I have a question for you about investment, because obviously you're in business, you've invested a lot, you've been raising money for all sorts of different things. What is the best investment you ever made Other than in a stock or real estate or in a business proper?
0: In my health, no question. So a a mentor of mine who founded a, a, a company that's done almost $10 billion in sales now, he he says, you're going to invest in your health at some point. To invest in preventative medicine is always less expensive than investing in curative medicine. Sure is. So even when I got really, really sick. I knew I had to make some changes. I went back to school. I studied homeopathic medicine. I, I started eating organic, um, vitamins. I probably take about 30 or 40 vitamins a day. Wow. Um, it, you know, it, it, people can't see my desk right now, but I've got like all sorts of like, because I'll be in meetings all day, right. Until the kids get home. So I've got all sorts of things that are healthy laid out for me. That's been the best investment that, that I've ever made.
1: That's really neat, you know, cause it's so interesting when I switch, my listeners know that I used to be a school leader, school principal, and uh, I actually wrote this book, um, becoming the new boss with the intention of helping new leaders hit the ground running, you know, enjoy sustained success, avoid a lot of the pitfalls that new leadership, uh, can create. But in order to get myself back up and running again, I was working really hard. I was depriving myself of sleep. I wasn't exercising properly. This is now in the last eight years. And then I don't know what it was, but something shifted. I, maybe I didn't like how I weighed on the scale one day. I just decided to reconnect with myself. And now my exercise, my kids make fun of me. My wife does as well. It's almost like sacred. You know, Rarely does a day go by where I don't. Even when we had holidays recently on the Sabbath, I'll at least take a brisk walk, you know, something to keep it going until afterwards when I can do something more meaningful. My, my, my diet has changed, so much has changed, and I find that I have more energy, I have more focus, and the time that I do have remaining is time well spent. You know, It's really time for me where I can do my very best work. And so, like you said before, the idea that so many of us are uh, conditioned to think just work, work, work you know, put in those 60, 80 plus hour work weeks, and we're going to get more done. The reality, the research is very clear. It doesn't work that way. You know, at a certain point, it all tapers off. And there's really not much of a difference between putting in 40 or a little bit more and a number much higher than that. So uh, it really resonates with me. A lot of what you're saying about care, about um, really being focused on yourself, on your health, on your priorities. And part of what I love about what I do is that I control my own calendar. You know, I can decide what I want to take on, what I don't want to take on. And in my previous work, I was always dependent, I felt, on somebody else. Even if I say no, which you can do, it's still somebody else kind of like in many ways driving the agenda, driving my calendar. And that's why I felt that for me to have a long-term success, the long-term happiness that I wanted, I needed to really find something where I could contribute, but do so in a way that worked for me. So I, I, I I really have enjoyed this very much. And I want to ask you, you seem like you're somebody who's very um, well thought through, very well grounded. And at the same time, I'm sure you've got some things in your head, some ideas that you have that a lot of people don't agree with, but you feel deeply is correct. I'm just curious. Tell me something that you believe is true that nobody else sees it the same way.
0: Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I want to tell a quick Sabbath story. It also involves Ken. Many of my funny stories do. So one um, Saturday morning, Ken and I were out running. And uh, which, of course, Sabbath, you know, and from a distance, he sees the rabbi. <laughs> and he's, it was like out of a movie. He goes, no. And he goes diving into a bush and ends oh up doing a somersault. It was the funniest thing. So, when you said about walking on the Sabbath, I just, you know, had to shed some humor on that. Right.
1: That was up in Canada, I take it.
0: <laughs> it was, yes. Well, I wonder to <laughs> anyway. he dove
1: into the snow there, unless, you know. <laughs>
0: It Maybe was the wrong it, season. Yeah, it was the wrong season, but oh my gosh, it was the yeah, funniest thing ever. Anyway, <laughs> the only 2% of women-led startups to VCs are funded. Um and you know, I think that there are a lot of things that that you know people might not know. I'm I'm actually you know very political. I'm you know we were we were speaking before this, and some of you weren't going to like it, and may all get hateful DMs. But I'm pro-Israel. We were just in Israel two years ago. I was raised in a Jewish, Buddhist, Christian household. Um, that my twenty-three and Me tells me I'm part Jewish, so that's got to be right, right? Twenty-three and Me. But I want to talk about. Um, women-led businesses, and and I want to talk about burnout just for a minute. Burnout is something that affects us all. It affects women. It affects men. And because women still, there is a glass ceiling, especially for women-led pitches. It's tough out there. So we talk about entrepreneurship, and there are a lot of women who aren't starting the businesses that they should because they're trying to, like, you know, essentially operate as a man in a man's world. And I would just say, stop it. You don't need to do that. You know, at this point we're, we're in a society that we're so freaking polarized. It's at one point, can we just remember that we're supposed to be good humans? So let's do business as good humans. Let's not judge people for gender or their religion or, you know, whatever it is, let's just do business with good humans. Right. Like that's, that's the bottom line. And I, and I could, I could go on and on and on. Clarify one point
1: though, if you don't (laughs) mind that piece about women trying to do business as men, Mm -hmm. what, what, what's the alternative for them, for anyone's listening, they didn't, I don't know if I picked up on that. So what, what, what are you encouraging um, women in in, in this position to do, to really get the most out of not just in their, in their, in their, uh, in their raise, but, but in general, to be able to succeed.
0: When a woman shows up as ambitious, she's often called a, um, it rhymes with which, but starts with a B. But when a man shows up as ambitious, he's often, you know, given a pat on the back and like, oh, that's good. So look at how we're still judging women, right? And, and if you look at the percentage of women who are millionaires or the percentage of women that are billionaires, and we have a long way to go. The percentage of women who are in the C suite or the percentage of women who are in boards, right? So when I say show up as yourself, I'm often the only woman in the boardroom because we're in an artificial intelligence tech company. So oftentimes, and even my co founders, it's myself and four guys, or I'll go in a room and we're negotiating server prices. And I'm often the only woman in that room. And I at first thought, Oh, I have to be more masculine. And then I said, you know what? No, I, I don't, I'm going to show up just as myself. And I've been told, um, we were doing a pitch and, and one guy said to me afterwards, he said, Oh, I often find that women have to overcompensate for their gender and you're coming off as arrogant. And I said to him, would you say that if I was a man? Silence. <laughs> yeah, silence, right? It's like, yeah, okay. So, you know, I bring that up because I really want to remain optimistic to say that we're, you know, we've seen the worst of people, I think, in in the past few years, and we're still seeing the worst of people. Yeah. What if we could just all make a decision to say, you know what, I'm gonna do business with good people? If you're not a good person, we're not doing business.
1: Yeah do business. And I would add, have conversation, right? So often people are just looking for someone that they could poke something at, make some kind of snide comment, whether it's social media, kind of hide behind, you know, an avatar, whatever it is. And I feel like if we want to really reclaim, not just our time and our productivity, but our identity, you know, we have to be able to have good, honest person-to-person conversation, be willing to hear the other side, but at the same time not just make it about how can I advance my agenda? You know, yes. real listening is listening with the intent of just understanding the person across from you without throwing your agenda back in their face. And I'm guilty as charged often. You know, I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm passionate. I'm passionate politically. I'm passionate religiously. I'm passionate about the work that I do. And sometimes I see things that are just so grossly um, skewed from my perspective. And I just want to be able to fight back, you know, with some kind of, you know, clarification or, or put down or something. It's hard. It's hard, but we're not going to advance as a society without having the ability and the willingness to do more than just shove our agenda in people's faces. And, and that's, that's kind of just my hope, you know, my hope and my prayer that, uh, that with people like you who are out there, we're not only advancing their, their businesses and the business world, but also trying to make the world a better place that we will slowly, but steadily get there.
0: I love it. And the, I guess the question I would have for everyone listening is what, what are your life mottos? Right. So one of my life mottos is I will only do business with people that I would have at the dinner table with my children. Mm. And my children have had many Sunday night dinners with, um, you know, very well-known people because they're good people, not because they're well-known.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Does that make sense? It sure does. And so one of the things that I'm very, very, you know, deliberate about is guarding my time and who I will spend time with. And I think I love what you said. It's this openness to other people's points of view, but it doesn't mean you can't have things that you guard. Right. Yeah. And, and going back to this, this concept, the world is evolving so fast, especially with technology. By the year McKinsey came out with a study and said, by the year 2030, 800 million jobs would be displaced by artificial intelligence and machine learning. And I think at the end of the day, regardless, we all have to remember we're all in this together. So just be a good human.
1: Mm. <laughs> That's a great way to end this segment. A beautiful introduction, if you will, to our rapid fire segment. So as I mentioned, uh, we make this short and sweet. Um, I'd love to be able to unpack each of these with you. But in the interest of time, three qualities of a great entrepreneur.
0: Passionate, deliberate, and focused.
1: Nice. I like the deliberate part in particular. If you could post a message on a billboard for all to see, what would it be?
0: Now I'm going to say, be a good human. Like, just be a good human. My gosh. Nice. <laughs> like-
1: yeah. And let everybody define it as they wish. But it's it's up there for all to see. Yeah. The coolest tech product you've ever invested in or had pitched to you.
0: Well, oh my gosh, I'm super passionate about the tech we have at Radius, and um, after on the other side of this M&A, people are going to hear a lot more about Radius, but um, we use computer vision and artificial intelligence to, to provide rich analytics in real time. And during COVID, we were working with the Mayo Clinic and the frontline workers were so exhausted and we were using our computer vision, our technology to pre-screen the patients. And, um, at the end of the pilot, the, um, our team starts to take down the equipment and the nursing staff plugged it back in. They're like, you're not taking it away. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, I get really nice excited. To feel, about yeah. It.
1: You feel like you're <laughs> making a difference in the, in the most critical way in the world. Wow. That's unbelievable. Okay. So Susan, we, we we do have to wrap up the conversation, um, but not before everybody gets to learn a little bit more about you, where to find you, what you're up to, and uh, to benefit further from all the great work you're doing.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, by all means, connect on my website, SusanSly.com. I have some tremendous free resources. One of them is my life planner, which helps you... Establish some well-rounded goals, which is fabulous. Um, on Instagram, I'm at Susan Slide, my YouTube channel is um, Susan Sly, Raw and Real Entrepreneurship. And so I interview founders. I interview people who are out there daring to defy the odds and start their own businesses. And there are no sacred cows. We ask about everything. We talk about burnout. We talk about real life. So check out my channel and uh, I would love that. And I'm the one who reads all the comments, not one of my EAs or VAs. So drop a comment. I'd love to hear from you. And if you have a question that you'd love for me to do a video on, just submit it at season slide and I'll make you a video. If it's a, so, if it,
1: if it's within reason. That's cool. <laughs> Love it. Okay. So before we wrap up and I am going to ask you for a final life lesson in just a second, I must tell you, you know, uh, we got introduced to Mark Victor Hansen, who was a guest on the podcast. And, you know, sometimes I ask someone, who do you know? And they mention somebody, but I don't necessarily get to know them right away. And I do a little bit of digging, but, you know, even so it's hard to really know the person behind let's call it the success, because we could all put a very fancy website out there. We could all have great content on Instagram, social media, et cetera. And it doesn't necessarily tell us about the person, but I will tell you, Susan, that I'm very grateful, not only to Mark Victor for giving me his time and for sharing his wisdom during our session, but also for connecting us, because I feel very enriched in having this time with you and understanding not only your your success in terms of productivity, but the backstory and, and, and all the lessons about you know moving from challenge to triumph. And and I think that's that's a lesson we need so much nowadays. Dory Clark on my last podcast talked about reinvention. You know, we need to be reinventing ourselves a lot. Society's changing in so many ways, but at the core, we need to know that whenever we get knocked down, there is a pathway forward. And you putting it out there for everybody, but for women in particular who I feel you know really need to hear this. Um, thank you. So thank you for being here. Thank you for contributing so much. And please do share at this point, your final life lesson for us.
0: Sure. Um, when I was, uh, when I was 10 years old, my dad, um, who was an engineer and I was raised by a single dad, um, he brought me the book, the art of war. And he said, Susan, you must read this book. And, uh, some dads give their kids, Charlie and the chocolate factory. You know, my dad is giving me this book. Um, and, and one thing that struck me particularly that has been a lesson for the last 40 years is adapt to your terrain. So Sun Tzu says to his, his generals, adapt your terrain. And I think my message for everyone, you know, last year during the pandemic, we adapted to our terrain as a family. Uh, we had a great year. Now going through an M&A, lots of different things going on, we're adapting to our terrain. And, and I would say to all of you that if you can become that leader, who adapts to your terrain, you become unshakable. And when you become unshakable, you make decisions that come from reason and not from emotion. And that's how you're going to be successful.
1: Beautiful. I I normally don't end with my myself talking before I wrap up, but I will tell you that last point. First of all, the art of war, is that the right title? Yeah. hitting in my audible account. I listened to a little bit of it I have to go back and listen to it again now. So thank you for that prompt. But more importantly, I was going to tell you a quick story involving a great rabbi who passed away about uh, 30 some odd years ago at this point. And um, the story goes as well, because you talked about COVID and your family and then transitioning to the m and And the idea that in my mind, it's all about you invest in different things, perhaps not necessarily all the time equally, but you might invest more deeply here and more deeply there, depending on time and circumstance, so that even if you can't invest as deeply in one area as you'd like to at a particular time, the prior investment indicates that your real intent or your real desire is still very much that connection. I'm going to make it more relevant in a second. So Mm -hmm. the rabbi had his grandson's bar mitzvah, and he went during the week when the child put on the tefillin and read from the Torah and part of that celebration. But the Shabbat, is always where the big bar mitzvah celebration is. And the rabbi was invited to a national conference and decided to go to the conference instead of his grandson's bar mitzvah. And so his son, the father of the bar mitzvah boy was asked, how does it feel to not have your great father at the bar mitzvah on Saturday when you're really celebrating? And he said, he told two stories of how his father demonstrated deep love and care for him when he was growing up including when they were growing up in the Lower East Side and they didn't have a lot of heat. So we would take big blankets and put them on the radiator and then put it on the child in the morning so that he'd feel all warm when he got up. You know, those levels of care. So even if you can't demonstrate care all the time, because you're a busy person, you're a mom, you're you're an entrepreneur, you're doing so many different things. But if you can go really deep with relationships at one point, even if you can't be deep in those relationships when you're handling the M&A and whatever else, the, the residuals are still there. And I think that that's just a powerful lesson that whenever we are present, be fully present, be fully in the moment because you'll never know how you'll need to draw from that later on and you'll be able to do so because that time you invested was really genuine.
0: So Mm -hmm. I I, I hope
1: that was okay for me to to drop that in there. I don't want to steal any thunder. You were awesome. Thank you very much, Susan, for being part of Lead to Succeed. I'm super excited to get this out there for everybody to hear and uh, keep up the great work, keep up being the inspiration not only to your kids in your community, um, but to all of us at large. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen.